Listeners, we would like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Sam, Jory, Shelly, Tara, the Reverend Slangenstein, and Annalise. Thank you for your support financially. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really great. Keep it up. (laughs) If you would like to help us deal with the unbearable burden of capitalism and have $5 or more a month to spare... (laughs) You can join our supporters over on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP. Mm-hmm. You get access to the patron-only podcast feed, uh, which has bonus content. It also has a full more than hour-long video of our horror movie episode that we released last week. It's a lot of fun. I like I, I watched through all of it. And we are we're entertaining people to actually watch, not just listen to. <laughs> Absolutely. It was kind of cool watching everybody do stuff. Like, you know what I mean? If you listeners want to experience the really cool thing of watching a bunch of sweaty people talk about um, <laughs> uh, horror movies, you should give us your money so that we can make you do that. Yeah, I, I we weren't all sweaty. I guess I, I was in New York City, Jersey City at the time house sitting. So I was a little bit sweaty. But mm. there's also a surprise cat cameo. So for everybody who loves cats show up to this join the patreon you can get some cat content i guess (laughs) you also get access to our patron only podcast that ian and i record which is called pillow talk which we're coming up almost 100 episodes of pillow talk like that's that's impressive yeah that's great so if you just want like soothing voices in your ears discussing nerdy stuff that's that's what pillow talk is and you should sign up for the patreon so you can get it but if you're not in the position to support us financially, there are still ways that you can help us out. You can subscribe to us on the podcasting app of your choice, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, share us on the platform of your choice, or follow us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, or just keep listening, because that's good too. It is. And now, on to the show. One, two, five, nine! Robin Breeze, servant leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Hey, listeners, just a quick heads up that this conversation gets a little heavy and involves discussions of cancer, and so use care when you're listening to this episode. Enjoy the show. Listeners, this week on the podcast, Pamela is back with us to talk about the end of her time in church work and how things are going now and to kind of dig into the specifics of how churches can really screw it up when they screw it up. So Pamela, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing? Do you have any updates that you want to give to the listeners before we dig into the story? (laughs) I still have cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! Hey, you're still here. So there's that. Ah, yes. And that comes into the, the the very end of this story, too. So that'll be that'll be a fun callback for the listeners. So, Pamela, tell us about the last church that you served and kind of what your what your position was and what your hopes for that position were and how it turned out. So I'll start with my second to last church was youth ministry, which was all of my roles up to that point had been in youth ministry. And I really started feeling like, um, one, I had terrible boundaries between me and my job and my church and my boundaries of what is professional and what is social and for me. And so I decided to leave that role 
without anything lined up. Um, and then a week or two after I left that role, a job opened up at the church that I was attending with my husband. We had been in a small group there for a few years, and it was a administrative role supporting community and connection and spiritual growth. So working with a great pastor who had a lot of good ideas and a lot of good energy, but like was a train wreck on the organizational side, and he would have admitted that straight up front. And what I took as my main role was going to be to make sure that things didn't fall through the cracks, Mm. which I felt like that was something that matched my skill set. It was something that was going to be much more structured of like, I get there at eight and I leave at five and that's, that's that. So in the beginning of working there, I noticed way more cracks and holes than I anticipated. Mm. And in like a 60 day check-in with my boss and the executive pastor I said, you know, like I'm seeing a lot of problems just as a fresh perspective here. You know, I feel like my job is to help make sure that things don't fall through the cracks. And so just, you know, want to know, do you want me to step into these? Do you want me to like bring them up to people? What, what is the right thing here? And the XP said to me, you know what, Pamela, stay in your lane. But you are in your lane. That's the lane they described for you. That's exactly what I thought, but I learned that the real lane means don't tell the people above you what they're not doing well, because that makes them butthurt. Ah, so let's let's back up and tell me about the structure of the church, because you've mentioned there's an executive pastor. Is this a single site church? Is it a multi-site church? How many people go to it? Give us a picture of it demographically. Okay, it's like a... 25-year-old church planted in the Lake Norman area. Two pastors kind of spearheaded the plant. And they were kind of for the majority of the time um, a senior pastor and then like a spiritual growth small groups pastoral care pastor. And then over the course of time, they brought it as they like exploded to be a multi-thousand attendee church, multi-location, multi-plant church. There became an executive pastor who was maybe more of just like a director of business and operations, but then there were problems with that guy and he was fired. And so one of the pastors from who was around from the get-go that was in that pastoral care, care type role moved into that executive pastor role. Hmm. And those two men were over the main campus, but also over every campus in the family of churches, is the language they used. Did each church in the family of churches also have their own kind of on-site pastor, or did pastors rotate? How did that work? Each church has their own pastor, but there was only one executive pastor for all. Gotcha. So it's like they had their main teaching, leading, pastoring pastors. Okay. And then was this a non-denominational church or was it affiliated with a denomination? A Presbyterian church. Um, They like to tell people that they are Presbyterian with a little P because (laughs) they don't 
come off over Presbyterian. Like it, you could see it being non-denominational from the just basic experience, but they believe in the value of denomination, the value of being yoked with other churches and other leaders and not, you know, floating solo. Yeah. Ethan, do you have a question? I have one more question, but you're leaning towards the mic. No, I'm just laughing at Presbyterian with a little P. It's just... <laughs> it's an interesting silly. way to phrase it. Yeah. Um. So what, this is the church that you and, you and your husband went to a small group at. Is this where you and your husband met? No. The small group that my husband and I met at was in South Charlotte. And that church actually planted this church. Ah, so that's kind of what led us to this one. He had moved up north of, you know, Charlotte proper. Um, and so this was just a lot closer to where he was, that they were, you know, kind of related in a way. And so we went uh, there. Also because the church we met at, when our small group kind of combusted, fell apart, they said we could not be in a co-ed small group together unless we were married. Oh, and we said, but we were in a co-red small group together, and that's how we met. And they're like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> so okay. that's another thing that led us to go to a different church. Yeah, yeah, I I would see that. Um, and then what drew you to this church in the first place as a place that you wanted to, was it just kind of the continuation of the small group experience? Or was there something else you were like, this is a good place for both me and my husband? Yeah, um, Brock and I were looking for community, a small group of people around our age that wanted to study the Bible and grow in faith and life together. And Brock moved up to Huntersville and kind of started going to this church and just reached out with an email saying, my girlfriend and I are interested in a Bible study together. Do you have something? They said, yes, you can come. Everyone's welcome. Anyone's welcome. Just show up on Tuesday night. And we did. And we ended up meeting our best friends there. I've been in friends' weddings that I met in this group. Mm. They were all at our wedding. We all had kids at the same time, just because we just happened to do that. And we had a, them all over to our house just a week ago and had five toddlers running around. Wow. So it that was an incredible gift and an incredible right thing. And that just happened to be the only bright spot, really, uh, <laughs> with the, my experience with this church. So I, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind because I have a question about um, how good things come out of churches that end up being a little bit of a wreck. So you are working for the, not the executive pastor, but the pastor who's in charge of like spiritual care and discipleship and all that yes. kind of stuff. And is, does that pastor work for all of the churches coordinating discipleship across all churches? Or does he have a particular church that he's working for? Only one campus. Only one campus. Okay. So you get this position. Uh, you notice there are things falling through the cracks. You have this kind of initial meeting where you are told to not make people feel bad about themselves. What happens next? So I... I'm shocked. I just kind of try to grin and bear it. Uh, part of my role was sitting at the receptionist desk and I would voice like, I have time to do stuff and I see stuff that needs to be done. 
Y'all cool if I do that? Um, no, they were not. Hmm. They were interested in me sitting at the desk watching Netflix, if that's what it took to be quiet. So why did they hire you? What, what, what would be the reason for hiring you if that's what they wanted you to do? I'm sorry, Pamela, I'm mad on your behalf. <laughs> they um, wanted someone who was organized and someone willing to sit at a desk. And I just, and their idea was that someone's sitting there to be available in case someone walked in. Now, given this church offices are on the second floor of a building where the first floor is a coffee shop. So no one's just walking in to chat with me. Right. It just was one of those things that for me didn't add up because I was like, I'm seeing needs. I'm willing to do the needs. I'm not asking you to change my title or pay. Why is this a problem? And I just can attribute that really into people needing to be in control and a lack of willingness to delegate, knowing that what if someone else does something better than them? I don't know. A lot Mm -hmm. of tight fists around what our roles are at this church, I think almost out of job security, like, well, you only I do this. Just very weird. A lot of gaslighting and manipulative I was working where my boss was this pastor, but I was also working alongside the office manager. She was not my boss, but she kind of liked to think she was my boss. Oh. And so that put me, and I just said straight up in multiple conversations early on, this is an organizational disaster. Yeah. So I'm just going to be honest about how I'm feeling and how I'm feeling very stuck and very unclear. And it was just, well, just, you know, try to work on your relationship, blah, 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 blah. Well, my predecessor in this role happened to be the office manager's best friend. Oh. And my predecessor had stepped away on her own, but two days after I was fired, my predecessor had her job back. Okay, so... um. Uh, let me ask this question why did she step away did she have another opportunity did she oh, have a no, baby legit trauma legit hard stuff happening in her life she needed to step away okay okay legitimately that was good for her and her family she needed that 100 percent. well it's nice that that you kept the seat warm for her <laughs> yeah that's what it feels like although no one would say that and my biggest problem with the way that this church handles business personnel decisions and firing because they fired a lot of people as far as churches go over the years is that there is a lack of transparency and a lack of care. Hmm. Their mission is to love people as they discover and live out their role in God's story. They say that every Sunday Mm -hmm. to love people. How was I loved in this process? There are ways to end professional relationships And show an inkling of love. Additionally, I felt really trashed in the way the communication was regarding my exit from staff. I signed an NDA that said I would not disparage the church. And yet, I felt very disparaged in the communication. 
And I said to the pastors, I said, your job is literally to craft a decent message regularly. Mm -hmm. This should be a gift or something that you at least are able to put some time and energy in and shouldn't be foreign to you. And I felt like zero time and attention and care were given into the messaging around it, which just really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember that whole situation happening and I'm still angry about it on your behalf. I want to back up to what precipitated your firing. So they're not, they hired you knowing your experience and knowing your gifts. And they ask you to not use any of your skills and they keep you in a position that must've been frustrating for you as somebody who knows how churches work and run. Was it just that you were constantly asking for things to be a improved and that's why you were fired or was there a particular incident however much you want to share about how the firing began so my understanding because it was clear that I hadn't been happy there because I had a dream that this job would turn into you know kind of morph around the people and the situations of like Mm -hmm. as situations changed over the course of three years as they got we built relationships and they understood who I was and more what gifts I brought to the table rather than just what gifts I said I brought to a table in an interview that the role would flex some Mm -hmm. but then it never did and I just kept being told like this was what the job was and like this is just what it was I don't understand why you're disappointed and so it just was a difference of like going in and so last summer I kind of had a heart-to-heart with my boss and he said Either you get all on board or we transition you out. Like, it's time to make a decision. Either we go all in, you know, we do the job ahead of you, we're supportive, we stop many of the complaining, or we figure a way to be a resource for you to find your next role to help you into that, whatever, like, will transition you out and support you into a new role at a you know new place somewhere. But like whatever okay. support I needed, if I needed career coaching, if I wanted whatever, that was what I set up. So I was told um, two weeks, we were going to come back together and have that conversation. So what, what were the kind of things that were falling through the cracks? Like what what's the stuff that you were quote unquote complaining about? People would reach out about hard life situations. They wanted a pastor to reach out to them or pray with them or something. And I would pass that along and then it would not happen. So the, the community care pastor was not providing community care. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. People were being asked to be placed in small groups and they weren't. People were being asked to meet with the pastor and he would regularly cancel and reschedule their appointments. One time he left a woman crying in his office to go home and check on his family. And I had to sit and talk with her. (laughs) So, so they're telling you to stay in your lane, but apparently now your lane includes cleaning up your boss's messes when he goes to check on his family. So I really had to ask that I straight up asked the senior pastor. I said, I know my job is to support this man, but where's the line between supporting him and covering his ass? because mm. I'm doing a lot more covering and cleaning up than I am actually supporting and helping. 
it, it sounds like they don't want somebody who's going to solve the organizational problems. It sounds like they want somebody who's going to band-aid over, over the situation. Because you've already identified the organizational structure isn't working, that the person in the role isn't, isn't fulfilling the role. They didn't want to solve the problem. They just wanted to be able well, to so, continue as is. Um, the pastor I was supporting happened to be going through the worst season of his life. Sure. His wife had a chronic illness that she was in appointments and testing day in and day out. They had three children and then additional foster children. So at one point they had three three three-year-olds, one that was theirs and two foster twins. And because of COVID stuff, when you take one kid to the doctor, you can't take all your kids to the doctor. So he would have to go home and be with the kids while, or take one of the kids to the doctor because the chronic illness wife couldn't drive. And so like legitimately he had a hard life situation. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was maybe the only one seeing how much it was affecting his work because I was the one managing his schedule and having to reschedule things. And so I also went and spoke to his boss and I said, I'm seeing this and I'm worried because it's not sustainable. And I don't see a way that it ends. Like, I don't see how this ever gets better. I don't see how. Yeah. I don't see how this ever gets better. I just see this continually getting worse and not being good for this man and his family or the church. Mm-hmm. and was told, yeah, but we can't, like, let someone go when they're having the worst season of their life. But also, you're right there. Like, if they would just allow you to step in and fill in the cracks, and again, you're this is work that you're wanting to do. You're not asking for more pay. Like, that. that's the disconnect to me, is that you are skilled in doing the work that he is not doing. Why not have you help? If they if they're really concerned about him and the worst season of his life, why not let you share some of that that work? I wonder. Uh, I might not have had the right anatomy. <laughs> that could be, be true. It. it. Might be true. Churches also belong to pastors, right? Like that's that's the mentality. You know, of a lot of of a lot of churches in general, but certainly churches that are spe- like I think that like a plant is often, you know, more susceptible to this like problem because it's so, you know, kind of clergy oriented, right? Like often the people who plant the church then lead the church. It's not like a it's not a d- democratic egalitarian process to plant a church or mm-hmm. often it's not right. And so the idea, and so to me, I, I could wrap my brain around the mentality that goes something like this. Well, we're the leaders and what we really need is we need somebody, preferably a woman to wipe our ass and make sure that, you know, everything is going according, you know, to plan on a personal level so that we can continue to do our jobs as being the spiritual fathers and leaders of this church plant. 
And so if this pastor who was is, is having a rocky personal life, the last thing this pastor can do is stop doing his job, quote unquote, because that right. would be a giant failure. Even though what really, you know, if if the church was healthier and if the and if this pastor was healthier, like from that kind of spiritual leadership perspective, this would really be a no brainer. He would be asked to step down until things are resolved. He might even still get paid. That would probably be a just thing. You know, they work to pay this pastor while this while this pastor is working through his, you know, stuff going on with his family. But they can't afford to have him be the pastor, you know, because that just causes things to fall apart at the church as they already are. But if the but if the primary goal is to protect the leadership's reputation, mm. which often, you know, I think it's, it is, I think that's it, right? Like the primary goal is, is to keep the face of the organization looking good. Then your complaints, Pamela, does not do that, but your covering for him does that. Right. Well, so last fall I went straight to him my boss. And I said, I'll be honest. I think you're drowning. And I don't see a way that this gets better. Like I went to him before I ever went to his boss. And I said, I need you to tell me like, is there something I can do to help? But if it's my opinion, I think maybe a leave of absence is perfectly justified and could be good. And he's like, no, 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 no. Well, then also I'm pregnant at this time. So in the eighth month of my pregnancy, he announces, uh, starting tomorrow, I'm taking a month off and you're just going to cover for me while I do that. It just blows my mind. You're growing a tiny human inside you. And he's like, this is the perfect moment to step away. Right. And also one in which I'm already mentally prepared that like, I could go on maternity leave at any moment. Yeah. And so now you're going to put the stress of what, how do I bridge that gap? Right. You know, like, what do I do there? But I also believed that that was the right thing for him. Things were not getting better. I didn't, that's what it was. And so he did, he took time a month and then I had my baby and had six weeks to recover from the violent exorcism that is childbirth <laughs> before I returned to work. I was back. The first thing that one of my coworkers said to me is because we did not have any overlap in the office between his leave and my leave. So we went 10 weeks without talking and seeing each other. Wow. And then one of the first things was, Pamela, things have gotten worse. <gasps> How? Nothing in particular, just that like clearly nothing got better and everything's still a problem. And that's when I started, I think, just being more free with my bitching. Fair. Um, <laughs> do you think it was really bitching or do you think that you were bringing up real concerns? I was bringing up real concerns in a complaining way. And Fair. HR even said to me, Pamela, you're weird because you don't want to just complain and then move on. You like actually want to see something change. <laughs> and I said, why is that weird? 
Yeah, that's the that's the goal. That's also what they hired you for. I mean, maybe the expectations were different, but like they they have this role because it fills a need. Why would you? Anyway, okay, churches, churches. Yeah, HR at this church meant just fill out the hire paperwork and process payroll. Yeah. So I came back to work the Sunday after Easter. And then this conversation happened in July of either you're going to get on board, cover and support and not complain and point things out, or we're going to transition you out. So you had, he had a month of leave, then you had maternity leave, and then y'all have a couple of months of working together before he has this like come to Jesus conversation with you. Yeah, like between two to three months. And in that time, the same the same problems that have been happening all along are still happening. Are they worse than they were before? Kind of. Kind of just the same. You know, when <laughs> problems exist for so long, they feel worse. But it's just the same problem that has been going on for longer than you know what to do with. Yeah, that's that's a wise realization. Okay. So you have this conversation where he says, get get on board with doing nothing or get out. And so we set an appointment to talk about it. And then when I show up for that appointment, HR is there, who is the office manager, who is the woman who thinks she's my boss, but not my boss. Complicated situation anyway. So I didn't think much of it. And so my boss starts talking and telling me that I will be phased out, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you don't want to know what I think? I was like, I, I was under the impression that I was coming to this meeting, having made a decision. And they're like, no, we made the decision. I was like, and I was like, well, I'm blindsided because I was ready to come in here and be like, you know what? I'm all in the part of this job, make it so that. I want to I want to suck it up and be all in. And they're like, "Well, sorry, that's not an option." So, take the day, take take some time and uh to kind of let us sink in and then we'll we'll touch base the beginning of next week to kind of talk about how this is going to go down. So, I left. One of the perks that I wanted to stay working at this church for is that my 6-month-old had just started in daycare at the church. <laughs> And so it was nice that we could drive him, drop him off, walk right over to my office, be there if there was something. I was also nursing at the time still, and um, they have to give me time to pump, or I could go just down and feed him and skip the whole pumping process altogether. So that just was really convenient. And so I went down crying and said, can I please have my baby? I'm going home. To which any good caregiver said what's going on you seem a little emotional to be taking a baby into a vehicle right now (laughs) yeah Uh, and I said I just had a really hard um I just I got fired and I would like to go home and uh I talked to them just a little bit but took Jackson home sent a text to the three women who are in the room that said hey Please don't say anything to anyone. Please keep that to yourself. And one woman said, of course. Another woman said, you know it. 
another woman said, I already told the preschool director. Ah! <laughs> so then when I returned to work the next week, I'm handed a paper that says today is your last day. And I was told the changes because I told someone about being fired. And cool. that was that. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm not sure how you were supposed to behave differently in this situation, but um, thank yeah. You, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. This is, um, you, you mentioned earlier that their, their job is to love people. And this does seem to me like a very unloving way to have handled this situation. I don't know how that strikes anybody else in this conversation, but wow. Wow. So I, uh, sent um, a text to HR the office manager the office manager it said I didn't think that I did but I really need to know what our reason is here Mm -hmm. I need to know why and I said are you the right person to ask or do I need to go directly to my boss she said you can definitely speak with either of us there wasn't a thing where you did anything wrong at all Pamela I know it feels that way I'm happy to talk with you if you would like anytime Heart emoji. I say this as church people. Church people are the dumbest people on the planet. If you didn't do anything wrong, then they're firing you unjustly. Right. So what in the world is, is the strategy here? Other than, oh, we definitely don't want people to be mad at us because we're neurotic church people. And if not everybody on the planet loves me, then I'm then God can't love me. And then that must, you know, I, and I must be going to hell. What? Pamela, if you didn't do anything wrong, then they, then they can't fire you. They can because North Carolina is an at will to work state. Yeah. They can fire me without a reason. It is legal. Yeah. (laughs) Well, North Carolina sounds terrible. Why, why would anybody live there? (laughs) I had a phone call with my boss after this which I recorded because I felt like I was in such shock at all these conversations that I just needed the ability to like replay this conversation for my sanity, Mm -hmm. you know, not that I was going to do anything with it, but just so that I could have something. And he said like, it wasn't any one thing you did, Pamela. It just wouldn't have been loving to let you continue to work here. What does that mean? And why do you get to make that decision? Without, yeah, like, why does he get to make that decision? Also, you have you have proposed solutions. You've identified problems. You've proposed solutions, and they've rejected the solutions. There's a loving way to let you continue to work there, and it would be to listen to you. <laughs> so uh, the messaging to staff and the volunteer teams that I managed after this was, you know, Pamela knew this was coming. Pamela is not surprised or shocked about this in any way. Pamela, we wish her all the best. We love Pamela, which is just continuing to be disingenuous and manipulative, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, we just, we, in our series on pioneers in Durham, we went through the, the pastor's letter to the congregation he was leaving. And it was a lot of that, you know, I love you, but the Lord has called me to a different place. Uh, but thank you for your time and your generosity. And it's all that, that spiritual 
covering of something to say to pretend like everything's okay and to pretend like stuff is going according to plan when actually that's not what happened at all Mm -hmm. it drives me nuts yeah and we know as people who've worked at churches we've seen behind the curtain Mm -hmm. we have seen pastors aren't perfect the church is really a business to some degree, it's unavoidable that mm-hmm. money and personnel and things matter. It really has me wondering, like, what good is it? Mm. My husband had not been to church since uh, the beginning of the pandemic for a lot of reasons. I was working on Sundays and it allowed him to stay home with our kid as he was a newborn through this. And we became ex-members of this church the day I was fired and really just talked to each other and decided we would go to church when we missed it, when we wanted to, when we felt like there was something that it would add to our lives, that there was something we can gain. And we do not miss it. And I think that that grieves me as someone who spent my whole life in church This is the longest I've ever, this has now been over a year that I haven't gone to church. It's the longest I've ever not gone to church. And I've also spent over a decade of my life employed by churches. It was my job to support and build up and raise and encourage the church and to be a part of it and to be its advocate. And I don't agree with a lot of the things that I used to teach or preach. Yeah, man, that's, that's such a great way to evaluate the role of church in your life is like, when I miss it, then when we miss it, then we'll go back. And that, that distance, I, that's, I wonder if that's part of the thought behind the tactic of you're not a good person unless you're in church, because until you have that distance from church, you don't realize how little you're getting from church and how much it's taking from you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that distance is really key and I'm glad that you are taking it. Well, and I mean, two things there of, I know that church is not all about what I get. Sure. From it, But there has to be something that makes me want to go to church or want to be involved with a church. Can't mm-hmm. be all me giving. And I know that because I've grown up in church, because I've worked in churches, I know that my relationship with God is deeply entangled in my relationship with the American church. Mm-hmm. And so at the beginning of this, my desire was to walk away from everything so that one day I could walk back to something mm-hmm. and spend the process disentangling which looks a little bit like deconstruction looks a little bit like giving myself space you know Mm -hmm. but it just really has shown me that a lot of the things that I had drank the kool-aid on I don't think they hold up Mm -hmm. when kind of examined outside of that culture and group mentality Mm -hmm. 
So it's hard. Did I like waste the last 10 years of my life investing in something that I no longer find value in? I don't think it's this one church that really ruined it, but it was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was not my first bad church story. Mm -hmm. So I can't put it all on this one church, but it did not help. And I think what grieves me is that when I was hired at this church, they knew all of my past church hurt stories. Mm -hmm. They knew my wounds. I was open with them. And they received that as all of me and not asking me to leave that at the door. So to walk into a church situation where you feel like you've told them all of your wounds, all the things that you've been hurt by before, entrusting them to, you know, be gentle and sensitive to those. And yet they continue to tear you down. That's shitty. Yeah. Yeah. To feel like a place is is different than the other churches that have hurt you because they acknowledge the reality of church hurt. And then to have them just hurt you, you know, to open up even more to somebody and have them just drop you. Yeah, that's that is terrible behavior. That, uh, I have questions about um, kind of the aftermath of this and what happened after the firing. But Ethan, do you have any reflections, any thoughts, anything that's kind of come up? Yeah, I do have some thoughts. Uh, one, you know, Pamela, like that is other than the fact that I feel for you. And I think that this is absurd the way you've been treated. I also want to affirm like the feelings and questions you have as you reflect on like, you know, is this really my life? Like I've spent all so much of my life invested in this thing that I now not sure I see the value in like, like, I think that's a, that's a very kind of visceral and honest, like take on church hurt, right. And like take on this experience that you're, you're talking to the right people about, cause we've all had Joe and I have both have had very similar feelings and uh, uh, regarding the church, you know, and maybe different kinds of church hurt. You know, I, I don't, I've had my own forms of church hurt, but, but nothing, but, but not quite at, at the same kind of or quality of church hurt that you and or, or Joe have had. Um, but I just want to affirm that my, my thought, you know, which is not a very nice thought is um, just how ill-equipped and uninterested North American churches really are when it comes to dealing with church trauma. Um, it is a constant embarrassing game of pass the buck. Mm-hmm. You know, we see it in, we see it, it it's probably, it's probably its most benign forms are those memes on the internet that you see sometimes where people try to differentiate between the church that hurt you and Jesus as if any as if any of it matters you know as if right. it, as if it matters which one hurt who you know the church is the body of Christ Jesus did hurt us you know like it's it's really not that complicated guys you know either either the church is either the church is what it's what they say it is which mm-hmm. is Christ's body on earth or it's not that's i would consider that a benign passing the buck like it's it's christians attempts to get around our responsibility to each other by appealing to the fact that somehow we can 
you know, we can make that differentiation between church and Jesus. But then it also appears in the forms that you're experiencing now, which is a mixture of blatant lies when they say, oh, no, we, we welcome your whole self. We welcome your whole self, church trauma and all, while at the same time laying your trauma at your feet, right? And mm-hmm. saying, no, this is your fault. Because the church is fine. The church is blameless. It must be you. You must be a rabble rouser. You must, you must have brought this on yourself. You must have, you must have abused the, the hospitality of the church. Because if there's one thing we know for sure, it's that the church is the, is the repository of truth and goodness and beauty. And, and if you have a problem with it, it's, it's you. You know, the church doesn't need to change. You need to fall in line. And uh, that's a form of Christian supremacy. It's a form of all of the really horrible things that North American Christians really see in themselves and, and, and embody right now. And um, this is why, if I may, if I don't mean to diagnose you and I'm not, but like, this is why you don't miss it, <laughs> right? Because you know, this is just... This is just what church does. Like it's, you know, I, I've never been a part of a church that has repented, mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, for that repentance is just not in the church's repertoire. It's just not there. It would require the, the, the kind of repentance that the church needs, or at least that the white church needs is is beyond itself it, it it would require its you know breaking its dissolution it's 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 falling apart on purpose so if repentance is integral to the christian life how can a church be a christian church right i don't know and that's where i think i've really come as i've landed on that i no longer agree that the church is god's plan Hmm. The church as we see it. You know, I can't say that the church is God envisioned for it or whatever a new definition of a church would be. But I can't say right now that the churches that I see could possibly be what God wants to redeem the world if God wants to redeem anything. Right. Yeah, I... A hundred percent. Okay. So let me, let me take all those feelings unless we need a break. Are you good? Yeah, no, I'm good. Okay. You You also don't have to be good, but Joe, Joe, did I hurt you with that whole body of Christ line or you, I am really wrecked. I like Jesus is my sacred cow. And I, uh, to say that Jesus hurt me, I want to, I like it has opened a whole new flood in my brain. I like don't I don't know how to handle that. So we're going to go back to the story and I'm ask questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it is good. It's just a lot. So after you after you were fired uh, earlier than expected, the messaging was that you are going on your own way. But did they give the congregation a reason for why you weren't there anymore? Did, how did they how did they communicate this? Because you said they communicated it poorly. What did they say to to everybody? They didn't say anything to everybody. There's the panel doesn't work anymore. What? 
how did the congregation take that? Um, a lot of people reached out to me on Facebook and texted me, like, what happened? And I was like, I don't think I'm allowed to say. Yeah, they didn't think all this through. But this is the thing of, like, this This is how they do it. This is this is. I'm not the first person they fired, and this is exactly how it goes. That's very weird. So they just dump people and don't don't do anything. Yes. Did people think that you moved on of your own volition? Did they think that you had done something wrong? Like I said, I no longer work there, and it wasn't completely my choice. Okay. Because I felt like that was, at this point, I'm worried about everything I'm saying and what are they going to come after me with? I had an NDA that went for a year that I couldn't disparage the church or say anything negative about anyone. I just felt very like anything, like I feel like the wrongs here are significant wrongs. And so I don't mind waiting a year because all of those truths are still going to be there. Right. Of the way this, it's not, I'm just going to get over it and it's not going to hurt as bad. No, a year later, they still screwed up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'll sign your NDA. Give me a year to make sure this isn't emotional and like response, but that I've thought about it and everything. And I can say like, this was handled really poorly. Mm hmm. It sounds like from beginning to end, there was a difference of expectations. Nobody took you seriously in the role that you were in. Nobody addressed the problems that were there. And time and time again, I took fault. I, I took ownership of like, I know that I'm not exactly this, but like I bring something to the table and like, how can I help? Like, right. it it just was a very manipulative thing of I'm not exactly what they wanted but they didn't want to give me full freedom to be who I was gonna be Mm -hmm. like I got told one time I got pulled into my boss's office told that I was too prickly to one of the staff members because I didn't say hello to her when she walked into the office even though I was in the middle of a conversation with someone else about work stuff at the moment so (laughs) I was told I was too prickly and that I needed to work on it and that I should ask a staff another staff member to pay attention to me for the next month and see if I could work on being less prickly what the ever-loving fuck this all sounds this all sounds really uh healthy and not at all unhinged (laughs) and you know that's good churches cannot possibly run well it's, they're not allowed to. When Joe and I recorded our initial responses, the stuff that was going on when, in Durham, when, when Joe was working on pioneering Durham, one of the things that ended up not getting in the episode, which is probably for the best, is that like I always have to remind myself, and my dad does a good job at doing this since he's he's a church person, but but lives in the white collar business world. Like my dad constantly reminds me that that the reason why churches run badly is because MDivs run them. Like, like, like these are like pastors are not good bosses. If you meet a pastor that is a good boss, that's because that, that, that's a freak accident. 
That's not yeah. by design. Like, like it's, it, it, it's just a reflection of that particular pastor's skills, you know, or, or, or prior training outside of seminary or whatever. Other, other than that, like pastors are clueless, you know, on how to run nonprofits or how to, how to be good leaders, you know, in these ways, how to, how to create and maintain just, you know, systems and, in, in in the workplace or, or whatever, they're just bad at them because all of their training is oriented around not that. Right. I think we talked about a lot about this in the last time we talked with each other about there's no, they don't know how to manage people. They don't know how to lead people and they don't know who their boss is. Like, is their boss, mm-hmm. the elders, is their boss, the congregation, is their boss God? And, or is their boss, the denomination who's completely out of touch with like their day to day? Like, Right. Or is their boss themselves? Because they all seem to be acting as if they are the boss. Right. No. So I think that that is, yeah, a huge problem. And it is just shocking to me that, like, we see it. We can't be the first people to see it. Oh, of course not. Yeah. Right. So, like, why has no one done anything different? It's because we leave. And that's wow. that's not a knock on. That's not that doesn't mean we need to change. That's not what I'm saying. Like we need to leave. Like people need to leave when they need to leave. But like, we are not like, like the, the environment, the church is insulated on purpose. Why were you fired, Pamela? Like, you know, this, I'm just mad on your behalf, but like you were fired because you said, well, we could, we could just do this better. And you didn't understand that it's not about doing it better it's not about doing it more justly. It's about doing it in such a way that the pastors know that they are loved. Ooh. Mm. It's about doing it in such a way that the pastors know, oh no, Jesus really does love me. I am called to do these things. I am important. Like, like, like that's the way it is supposed to work. You know, you, you didn't fall in line in that way. You made, you drew a, 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 a line between covering someone's ass and supporting them. And in their mind, it's not any, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Covering my ass is supporting me. Doing, doing the parts of the job I don't want to do is supporting me. That's how pastors think. I know that. I am one. That's how I think. <laughs> is that how you think? That's not how I thought. That's how I would prefer it to be, right? Like I would prefer (laughs) I would prefer to go into the church building whenever I want to great fanfare, you know, (laughs) and then and then somebody else does charge conference paperwork and I go, thanks, you know, and then I go home. Like like that's what I want. You know, and and who cares if it doesn't run well? That's not the point. Man. There there might be I I need somebody with like critical gender theory knowledge to listen to this conversation and let me know if I'm crazy and thinking that like Pamela and I both seem to be people who are happy to like help the trains run on time because that's part of how we are socialized as women is part of what we do is to take care of practical things. And like, sure, I would also like the glory, I think, but like much more, I just want the thing to work. And I wonder if that's, that's part of how, how we're raised. Okay, so setting all that aside, because that's that's a whole side conversation, Pamela, there are two things that I think really 
uh, broke me when I was hearing you talk about this well before we recorded. And the first one is your cancer diagnosis and how the church reacted to that. And the second one is the the thank you cards and the gift cards that were collected for you. So do you, can you tell us about both of those things? Yes. Um, first off, something in the communication of the way I left kind of in lieu of a saying it's a love offering. People were given opportunity to gifts, cards to me and that they would be passed along. So my boss was supposed to be collecting them. And he said to one of my friends, though, like one person from this church, I still talk to, Hey, I know you still talk to Pamela. Would you take these to her? And she said, no, I really think it should be you. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what's right. I think that it should be you. I think it's going to be uncomfortable, but I think you should. So then my friend followed up with me a couple weeks later. I was like, have you gotten anything? It's like, no, I haven't heard a word. And so I sent a text to my former boss and just said, my friend mentioned a few weeks ago that you had something for me. And since I haven't heard anything from you, I thought I'd reach out. Do you know what she's speaking of? So like, very vague. Mm -hmm. But like, he said, I actually end up mailing it. It was a large envelope with a bunch of cards and notes inside. Mine was one of them. Did you never get anything in the mail? I said, no. He said, lame. I'm sorry I didn't just drop them off. I know mine, so I can rewrite it if you want. I'll find out whose others were and see if they can do the same. And then I'll set up a time to meet up with you and drop it off. He just didn't put it in the mail, Pamela. I know. He just but then he lied the about it and he then said, <laughs> lame. Right, right. What a, what a fool. What a fool. Yeah. Like, I feel 100% confident it sat on his desk for the longest time and then just accidentally got tipped into the trash can. Yeah, he just didn't put it in the mail. And so it's like not even that you can't follow through and do that, but that like you can't be honest about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like that sucked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just insult to injury to me that it blew my mind. He can't even put this in the mail for you. Right. And then I was diagnosed with cancer. Three months after almost three months after I was fired. All of a sudden, everyone reached out. Oh my gosh, Pamela. I've, I just love you so much. I need blah, blah. These people sent me gift cards. People sent me presents. See, people mailed cards, books. Uh, people dropped off meals. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? People donated to like, GoFundMe. Like, and I remember telling this, like, this room that I'm in right now is the former guest room that turned into the cancer room mm. because stuff was showing up in boxes every day. And I, like, emotionally didn't have the capacity to, like, go through it and be grateful. So I just shoved it all into this room and shut the door. Yeah. Um. And I remember telling one of my friends about this and she goes, oh, I didn't know so many people had the spiritual gift of gift giving. (laughs) 
I don't think they do. I think it's that people like a tangible something to check off their list and move on. That's how they assuage their guilt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, like, yes, it's very nice. I have more blankets than any one person should own. (laughs) I received so many nice and thoughtful things. I received meals. I received money. Money is useful. Like, I'm not going to say that was a bad gift. But it just felt so uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. it's not caught up. It's it's not caught up in that relationship, right? It's not caught up in that relationship of love. We already know that this is manufactured. At least that's right. what it feels like. And it's like... One of the first things I learned um, when I didn't go to this church anymore, people say, okay, well... We can still be friends, though. And I was like, for sure. You know, with the people that I liked, but then nothing. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I would reach out to people and be like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. And they're like, oh, I didn't know if I was allowed to text you. It's like, the last time we talked, you said we could still be friends. Um, and that's just the reality of like, no, if I don't go or work at your church, we're not going to be friends anymore. Yeah. Not because of anything, but just that's what we're not going to be. And then this like outpouring of love when crisis comes. Now that you've already proven the relationship there is fair weather, mm-hmm. feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did the senior pastor try to talk to you after your cancer diagnosis? Am I remembering that right? Yes. Yeah, so I got a card in the mail said, Pamela, I'm grieved to hear of your diagnosis and how soon it came after your time here ended. Which I don't know why that's a necessary point. <laughs> um, he was like, I should have reached out sooner. Would love to, you know, meet with you, your fan in Christ, pastor. Your and then fan? his email address. Your fan in Christ. That's how he signs all his cards and his emails. Pastors, yeah. pastors should periodically just be fired from all of their churches. Every 15 <laughs> years. Pastor Purge, your fan in Christ. Christ. Your your biggest supporter in Christ. Your um, we stand you. Pastor you stand in Christ. God. So I sent him an email. In response, it said, hello, I was hoping someone would reach out regarding an exit interview. I would be happy to meet with you. Yes. <laughs> and so we set up a time. Uh, and then I decided, you know, let's make this Presbyterian. I'm going to ask an elder to be there as well. Nice. So three of us in the room and uh, asked how I was doing, started off. And then I really said, like, Y'all hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know, I came in here, I said all of this, and no care and attention was given to me. Mm-hmm. As a person, as a member of this church, as a staff member, like, was never cared for here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they love to say that they're the church for people who've given up on church but not on God. I remember this. Yeah. What? I said, you, you, sir, are the reason that I gave up on church and on God. Mm-hmm. 
He apologized. He said that the session had, um, you know, noticed some, some things on staff weren't great and um, had them do kind of a, a quiz and assignment like, and the workbook had um, really confirmed a lot of things that I had said in my time on staff, which I don't know if that was supposed to be affirming, but it really just feels crappy that you needed a piece of paper to tell you that instead of a living, breathing woman. Who has your best interests at heart. Like you were not here to sabotage anybody. You just wanted it to be better. So I was told at one point when I was working on staff by the executive pastor, you might be great at working on organizations, but probably not in them. What does that mean? It's all made up. It's all invented. <laughs> and so I got to say, like, really, I, I one thing I called out was that, like, there were three pastors at this church, you know, that I worked with regularly. And all three pastors had too much going on that none of them were doing their full job for the church. Mm. My boss had too much going on at home. He was distracted. He wasn't giving his full time to the church. The senior pastor, he teaches uh, teaches classes at a seminary. He leads church planting cohorts. He's doing good things, but they're distracting him from his main charge of pastoring and shepherding this church. And the executive pastor was over five or six church locations. He's the point person on everything, managing construction projects and um, the PPP payroll stuff and all, all that jazz all has to go through him. And so he's not pastoring anything because right, he's doing right. businessy stuff. And so yeah. I said, what it looks like is you have three pastors, but none of them are pastoring right now. Mm-hmm. And I see that as a problem. And they said, thank you for sharing that. I said, it's, but it's not bad things. It's not like you're all trying to do good, but I just see this as a problem. This is something that like, from my observation, if I could leave you with one thing, I would challenge you on that. So. And that's that. I felt good. I felt like I said my piece. I felt like nothing will ever come of anything I said. Oh, but uh, the executive pastor has now mysteriously been uh, no longer working there with major drama that I will just leave at. Even when you think you're invincible, Mm. the church will still kill you. Ooh, that's good. Is your your former boss still working there? I think so. That dummy. That guy. He might be friended me on Facebook. Oh yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. I love that uh the pettiest person is still uh the one who can make it. He's the one who's gonna he's gonna outlast us all. That's what we've learned. Is we should all uh grow the spiritual gift of pettiness, because that's apparently the <sighs> <laughs> It's hard. Like, yeah, I don't know what you're supposed to do. And like, I liked a lot of these people at one point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My boss still works there. Hmm. So what are you grieving? So you've talked about you don't miss church. Like you haven't gone back because you don't miss church. We've talked about church hurt, but like, 
can you name in particular what you're grieving after the situation even a year later? I am grieving my 20s. Mm. I gave a decade of my life to the church. And like the good years when you can stay up past midnight and like, you know, the amount of times I spent at a youth thing rather than hanging out with my friends, the amount of times that I took phone calls and texts because I wanted to show up for people. I wanted to be there for people who the things that I did and the sacrifices I made. And I feel like one that I feel like I've lost that time. Mm. And I also have a lot of like looking at my friends who are all doing cool career things and feeling like I missed the boat on like working my way through an industry that wasn't going to like cut me up so deeply, you know, Mm -hmm. like what if I had just worked at a church for like one or two years and then gotten a job in marketing and like not saying that that would have been better or perfect, but it, I don't think it would have had the ability to cut me so deeply with like, the church was my job and my life, my community. Mm. You know, it was more than just a job. It was something I really believed in. Um, and so I, I grieve where I am in my career because of that. I grieve just that time um, that I invested so much in that proved to not be what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. The things that I'm working on learning in therapy are, hold on, I wrote it down. I am not responsible for how someone someone else acts or responds to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't deserve to be hurt for trusting someone. And these are things that I carry around because of my church experiences that like I am having to actively learn. Mm -hmm. I'm having to redefine what the word forgiveness means because it's necessary, but it's killing me. And then also, like, just another way that the church, like, really did me in is that, like, I was listening to this podcast that I love, hate, whatever, but they were talking about your body. When, Joe, as a female, when you think about your body, is it it or her? Oh, it's a full-on it. I hate my body, yeah. Your body is you. You are part of your body. So what does it mean to embody your life, your feelings. What does it mean to, because I've always thought my body's an it. It is the thing that transports my brain. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all it does. That's all that, the, that's all it's good for. But like you were created in an image, you were created in a body 
your body has just as much value as your mind and your soul, just different. But I have such a disconnection with my body and trying to put my body into a box and trying to make my body less and trying to make my body different. On top of all the cultural demands of like being skinny and pretty and whatnot, but like the church is extra layer of demands about my body. So um, I'm grieving that I don't know how to attend to my body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you would have learned that, uh, maybe not necessarily, but you would have had a better chance of learning that in your 20s as you were learning things and growing as a human being if you were not cut off from that during that time. Like you have a whole decade of your life that you could have been living in your body. Especially before mm-hmm. before your body betrayed you by growing a cancer inside of you. Yeah, yeah. Like that. The church stopped you from having that. Mm. Whew. Whew. Uh, I, I thought that that would be a cute question to end on. I didn't realize it was going to hurt me in myself. Um, There's nothing cute about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Do you think that, I think you've already kind of answered this, but just to kind of summarize it, do you think that structural change would have solved some of the problems at your last church? Or do you think that by and large, they were problems that are just endemic to churches that like churches have to fix? I think by and large, it's a church problem. I do think that something, and it's like kind of something we've been dancing around of like, yeah, MDivs aren't managers, aren't MDivs aren't MBAs. Like, if a church could stop pretending it wasn't a business and acknowledge that part of it is, just mm-hmm. as a reality of any human organization that's incorporated or structured or registered, whatever, and bring in a director of business operations and set it up so that like there's a checks and balances with the pastor and them and that, you know, it's hard because it challenges ego, but like, you know, basically stop denying what your problems are and do something about it. Mm -hmm. It was the key. But I just think like, um, the church that I worked at in Illinois, also a train wreck, but had a director of business operations who's, background was in construction mm. like she worked for a construction company doing their office books all that stuff and got this job and really treated it as a this was her job and the numbers side of thing the logistics side of things that that was on her and that was her gifting that and it was a way that like in a ministry that like she was able to contribute but she brought something different to the table than pastors bring. Mm-hmm. And the pastors were able to appreciate what she brought to the table and she was able to appreciate what they brought to the table. And it ended up being really nice. It didn't affect the whole church. The whole church still had major problems. But I, I think I got a glimpse of like, there is possibility if we're able to recognize that like the pastor is not the king and everyone else are the sorry people. Was that a King Curtis from Wife Swap reference? It was. Good job. (laughs) You listen, bacon is good for me. Bacon is good for me. (laughs) Listen, she's going to learn that 
she's the queen, and we're all the sorry people. <laughs> oh, Joyce, you missed something. I'm eating a cookie. I'm eating a cookie. I, I really it. do like chicken nuggets. <laughs> oh, man, what a great... You ain't never going to see this face again. Again. After Curtis went to his grandparents and ate chicken nuggets, he returned. <laughs> oh, man, that is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I love it. I love it. We're all the sorry people. <laughs> I think that's a that's a good place to go out on, just to have a, a little bit of levity in the midst of all of this. Thank you, Pamela, for for sharing all this. This has been this has been a journey, and I'm glad that you have shared it with us because I I have learned a lot and thought a lot over the course of this. So thank you, thank you, Ethan. You want to sign us off? I can. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of What the Hell Is a Pastor. We are Ethan and Joe and Pamela, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Shomwolf, performed by Joe Shomwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at whatthehellisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to pillow talk, merch, signed cards, custom essays, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and trust your bodies, friends. Did you feel like your voice cracked and do you want to say it again? Yeah, or... No, I want to say it. I want to keep it. <laughs> okay, Fine, I'll do it again. You don't have to. I'll keep it. I just want no, to let's, like... let's Let's keep the voice cracked. Keep it raw. Okay. I got it.